Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, good evening. We're welcome to the live broadcast of, uh, face, of uh, Oikos Ministries. We're Facebook Live tonight. Uh, I'm your host, Terrell Abair. We'll be teaching on our third part of the series called The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you've missed any of those uh, previous <clears throat> teachings, you can go to our website at www.housechurchesusa.com and peruse through our site. You can actually listen to this on audio or video, either way, <clears throat> and uh, catch up with what uh, the Spirit's saying to the churches. We just want to see a great reviving of the gifts of the Spirit in our generation. So we're in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Without further ado, we'll get right to it and uh, into our teaching. And so in the first part of the teaching, we, um, we introduced and read the context of this whole uh, teaching. And, uh, and I'm going to give us an, another read through on the context and we'll get with it. So in verse one, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body being many or one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to, to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And so on our first session, we dealt with the idea of being baptized. The Spirit of uh, uh, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. So the baptism into the body of Christ, this is not water baptism. This is an actual immersion of your life into the body of Christ and you learning what member of the body that you are uh, and then how you enter, uh, you're connected, you're assembled to that body and that your uh, interdependent functioning w along with the rest of the body helps to form Christ in your local church and, and to see a manifestation of Christ in the local body. So we become that body of Christ uh, through uh, each gifted member being connected with uh, properly connected to the other gifted member, and we see the powerful work of Christ. So we dealt with that baptism into his body in the, in the first uh, session that we dealt with. The second session, we call it body builders. 
in that we, we showed that the Holy Spirit was there to edify the body and that the, the building up of the body of Christ. And so that was done by two ways, either by encouraging the members, teaching and helping the membership to grow through the gifts of the Spirit, or by adding people to the church through the outreach by winning souls to Jesus through our witness by the Holy Spirit. So again, edifying the body is the whole point and function of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to get specific tonight about the gifts of the Spirit. We talked about the gifts of the uh, the gift of God, the gifts of Jesus. Now we're going to talk specifically about the gifts of the Spirit tonight. So we're going to start in verse uh, 7. It says, But this manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now here's a clear statement on the purpose of uh, the functions and purpose, uh, the how-tos, the whys, the manifestation, the revealing the open showing of the Holy Spirit uh, the, uh, is, is given to each one, each one. Listen to that, to each one, not to one, not to just one, not to the most important one, not to the pastor, to each member is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. What for? To For the profit and the benefit of the whole. And that word... Uh, uh, the, the prophet with all or to profit with all is like the same word that we get uh, you, the, from the word symphony uh, that that we might all profit together. There's a there's a harmony, if you would. There, there's the, everybody's on the same page of music. The, the flow, the sound is just right when the Holy Spirit is orchestrating the whole flow of the body of Christ. You just sense that flow. We call it oika de mayo, uh, which is, again is means to build the body. Uh, I personally believe that all the gifts of the Spirit could come under one heading uh, of prophesying, that the, all, the whole thing has one thing to do, and it's build up the whole body of Christ. So we're going to see the manifestation of the Spirit is given. To, given. Now, I want you to see that word given. It's given. Uh, it's a gift. Uh and literally, it's to give something to someone or somebody. Uh, but something is given. So the Holy Spirit is giving gifts to the membership of the body. Now, I want to make it clear. Again, the baptism into the body is essential to see this gift go. There's too much loose affiliation in the local body. And basically, we, we move churches. Well, the children like it over here. And oh, we want to do this. Or, Man, that, that, none of those things are valid issues. I mean, basically you have to, you have to get to the place where you assemble with a local body because number one, you have an agreement in the things of Christ with that. You, 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 you have fellowship by, by, by the Holy Spirit with other like-minded people who have also been born again. You agree in the word of God. And so you, you begin to build the relationships and you interconnect. And then literally we, we are, uh, we, we connect one to another. We've talked about that in other passages. I'm not going to talk about it tonight, but we get assembled, not just gathered or loose connection. We are literally assembled as the body. Now we, the, the baptism into his body is absolutely essential to this, or we're never going to see that kind of commitment, that kind of absolute where every 
uh, band and joint come together and literally tie the knots that hold those joints together. So he says the, the manifestation, the open revealing, making known of the Holy Spirit, he will show himself through each member of that body once these interconnections begin to take place. All right. So it's given to each one. Why? For the profit of all. Of all. Everyone benefits in this thing. So for to one, now we're going to get specific now, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith to another, by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, we have nine gifts, and what we're going to do is break them into three separate groups. We have number one, the revelatory gifts, which would be a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge and discerning of spirits. These are the revelatory gifts. The second category of our grouping of three would be the power gifts would be faith, healings, plural gifts, plural of healings, plural, uh, and then miracles, plural. And so we see faith healings and miracles would be the power gifts. And thirdly, you would have the gifts of utterance. You would have prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. By the way, tongues plus an interpretation is prophecy. Now, uh, I will say again, as we've said in other parts of this teaching, there are many, so many today, what would, would, would be identified as neo-Calvinism, the new Calvinism, uh, and, and literally... There are so many that we don't even have to affix the name Calvin to it, Augustinian Calvinism, that literally believe that the gifts are not for today. Which I believe is just an absolutely ridiculous thing. I think it's a demonic thought to even think that the gifts are not for today. And even if you come to that conclusion just because of your lack of experience, with a good, just a good Bible study, you should say the gifts are today. I may be, I may not be seeing them, but they are. There's nowhere that eradicates the gifts. And I, and I've heard all the cessationist arguments, you know, where there'd be tongues, they will cease. And it's a silly argument. It's a, it's a, it's not even consistent Bible interpretation, uh, because it goes on to say where there be knowledge, uh, it will vanish away as well. So, I mean, why hadn't knowledge vanished? If I mean, to be consistent, if you're going to say tongues will cease, then knowledge has to vanish uh, and in that consistency. So all of that would have to go away. And, and it's just a, a ridiculous argument. And, and so I find that people who have not experienced, number one, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then number two, have not experienced the moving of the gifts of the Spirit in their own lives, who, who have a doctrine that says this is not for today, well, are they going to get to write all the theology concerning this? I mean, my goodness, let's have someone who experiences these things to write it. And, and look, a, another point before I move on, the, the, the idea of being a cessationist and shooting at the low hanging fruit of the obvious false teachers on televangelists and all this kind of silliness. To, to shoot at those guys, man, that's simple. I'll shoot at those guys with you. They're, they're, they're so obviously false brethren, even. They're not only false prophets. I believe they're false brethren. 
But when you get out into the mission field, when you go into all the nations and you go find the guys in the, in, I mean, you never heard of these people before who are actually working and functioning in the gifts of the spirit. It's a new day, man. And we see it even here in America. You don't have to go way out there far away. It happens right here. And look at the manifestation of the spirit is given. Why in the age of the Holy Spirit would we not have the gifts of the spirit? It's a, and so let's just, I, I'm saying this and, re, and, and, and going back into it to say, please look, if you're going to ever see the power of God in your life, you're going to have to repent of that false doctrine. That is literally a false doctrine. It's a stronghold of a, of, of a doctrine of devils, a spirit of error. And you need to break that or you'll never see the power of God in your life. According to your faith, if you don't believe it, according to your faith, you won't see it. Help yourself. You want to live a life led by a dumb idol? That's what this whole passage starts with. You were led by uh, dumb idols. I don't care if you have made a whole doctrine of lifelessness out of the Bible itself. And there are those who have a form of godliness, but deny the power. There are those who uh, honor God with their mouths, but their hearts are far from him. And so you can build a whole religion that talks about Jesus, a powerless, lifeless. uh, We just know things about a historical character named Jesus. Uh, I don't understand. There's no difference between that and the lifeless idol, because now we've moved out of a lifeless idol into the living God. Come on now. And so we who are given to spiritual uh, the spirituals that we walk in the spirit, we are governed by the Holy Spirit. He literally is possessing us. The manifestation of the spirit is given to profit everyone. So I had to throw that in one more time. Now we're going to deal specifically tonight with the three realms of the revel or the three gifts called the revelatory gifts. All right. Where basically you something is revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Not without, not with knowledge or uh, any of that, but with the Holy Spirit gives you an under a, re, a revelation of something. The first one is the word of wisdom. Now, when we deal with the word of wisdom, logos of Sophia, uh, Sophia, which is the Greek for wisdom, and it can be worldly wisdom or uh, uh, spiritual wisdom. It can go. The, the word is just standard. Basically, when it says wisdom in the Bible, even if it's talking about Worldly wisdom, it will say Sophia. If it talks about the wisdom of God, it will say Sophia as well. So we have to discern between the world's wisdom and godly wisdom. Now, when we look at that, let's let's go to a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians second chapter. That distinction is made there. Starting in verse six, it says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age. Nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known that they would have not crucified would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, basically we'll get to this in just a second, but the, the wisdom of God is summed up in, in one thought. And that's the cross of Jesus Christ. 
To me, it's the wisdom of God on full display when we see the cross. It literally goes against the grain of all worldly wisdom. The cross of Christ, the paradoxical teachings of the cross, literally turn the whole world upside down in the thinking because the world says you're number one, be all you can be. You, you know, you, you, it's all about you, 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 me, 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 me. This is all about worldly wisdom and humanism. And so when we deal with the wisdom of God, the cross says it to be great, you have to become least to be first, become last to be, uh, to be exalted, humble yourself, be abased. Uh, and so if you want to live, you have to die. I mean, these paradoxical teachings go against the grain. So when the Holy Spirit gives us a word of wisdom, uh, uh, let's read this in chapter one of first Corinthians, starting in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the word through wisdom did not, the world, excuse me, through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of, of God is stronger than men. That's a, a great word. And so if we look at this idea of the wisdom of God, it's summed up in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I believe it's out of this, out of the revelation of the cross of Christ and that the life, the spirituals. Remember, our whole uh, passage from 1 Corinthians 12 starts, but now concerning spirituals. Uh, all right. And so pneumaticos, those who are literally controlled and governed by the spirit, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the walk or the spirit filled life to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a spirit minded people. We're governed more by spirit than by soul, that our soul, our mind, our emotions, our decision making is under the power of the spirit. All right. So when we're in that situation, the person who's given to this and given to the foundational understanding of the wisdom of God starts in the cross of Jesus Christ. All right. Now, from there, we start looking at the spiritual gift of wisdom. Now, there's some wonderful passages I want us to look at. The first one would be uh, in uh, Matthew 22. This is. So cool. I remember the first time I was reading this. Matthew 22. Jesus is in a. His final week on earth and he's being accosted by the religious folks of his day. Matthew 22. We'll start in verse 15. It says, then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. 
And they sent to him after their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him uh, a Daenerys, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said in him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. And so here we have the, the uh, real-time functioning of a spirit, or, or, or really a word of wisdom. That literally, he is being accosted, confronted by religious devils, people who are literally possessed with religious demons, and they're trying to trip him up in his work. And so as he enters this dialogue, they said, uh, you know, they bring up a, a hot button issue. Is it lawful for a, a Christian? Well, they're the Jews. They, nobody likes paying taxes, but not then, not now. Is it lawful? Uh, why should we pay taxes? And Jesus said, give me the money. What, who's, whose picture's on this money? They said, Caesar's. They said, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. You see, now that is a word of wisdom. And instead of getting caught up in a, in a financial debate and the, and the fine uh, uh, mor- moralities and, and ethics on should we pay tax or not, he literally had a word from God. The Holy Spirit said, say this, and just put it in his heart. And when he came with that, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, render to God the things that are God. Now, that's a fantastic thing. Now, I want to say, did Jesus do what he does because he's God? Or did he do it because he's fully man filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, this is a, an important issue that we have to deal with. I don't believe Jesus operated and functioned as God on earth. He was, yes, he is God on earth. When he was in the flesh, he's fully God. He's fully man. He's the, he's here in the earth. He, but literally he disrobed himself. The Bible said he humbled himself. However, that works in the Godhead. He humbled himself. He stepped out of the Godhead and into the womb of Mary. He didn't begin to exist when he was born in a manger. He always has been. He was there before the world began. He is part of the Godhead, but he literally disrobed himself. That's what they call it in Philippians 2, the kenosis of Christ. He literally humbled himself and became the creator became a created and he became fully man and then was filled with the Holy Spirit. Was he different? Was he special? Absolutely. In his veins was a bypass of the, the pure blood, the innocent blood with no tainted sin in his blood. He is literally the cleanest thing on the planet in so far as blood. And so circulating through his veins was absolutely the perfect blood that would bring the perfect sacrifice that would redeem mankind. And so uh, that was the biggest distinction of Christ on earth. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit and literally he did everything he did by the Holy Ghost. And so uh, when we see this idea that, well, he's God, he just knows everything. Was, was he being omniscient? Was he operating as omniscient and omnipresent? I mean, literally, he shows us his humanity in so many places. 
when he said uh, the, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest for more laborers. I mean, he gives us an insight to his humanity right there. It says, I'm limited. I can only reach what I can reach. That is a human statement from Jesus. Jesus wept. That's human. That's humanity. He wept. He was angry when he saw the, the work of the religious. And so when we see the idea that Jesus on full, fully man on display, but the, but God in him through the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and let me say this about it. Jesus got the, had the Holy Spirit without measure. He had the full Holy Spirit in him, not a part, not a measure, not a portion or proportion. He had the full Holy Spirit. And that is a major distinction between me and you and Jesus. All right. Big difference. But he said when he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. It stopped the argument. And this is what wisdom will do. The word of wisdom in the right place is literally going to it will shut their mouths. It will stop them in their tracks. I had a person one time said, who said that? I said, God, literally, I, that's all I said. They said, well, who said that? I said, God. And literally the whole argument ended. They couldn't talk anymore. I like that. I wish we'd see it more often. Huh? Hallelujah. Now, that's a word of wisdom. Okay. Now, look, if we turn to Acts chapter 7, just so we, we'll show it in, in humanity here. In Acts chapter 7, uh, well, actually, it's in verse, uh, chapter 6, and starting in verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And so when we get into these... Um, debates, if you would, when we get into doctrinal difference and argument, it's when the Holy Spirit takes over, they could not resist the spirit and wisdom by which Stephen spoke. So it's a powerful passage showing on full display a word of wisdom, right? Now, if you can see this happening, if you'll let the spirit of God function in you, and again, that's why I brought up 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, defining the wisdom of God that in the very base and very heart of God's wisdom, if a, if a Christian is given to that and it has the revelation of the power of the cross and, and functions from that low place of humble yourself, uh, 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 abase yourself, taking the place in the back of the line, uh, literally all that uh, losing your life instead of trying to gain. That person understands wisdom. And in the heated argument, the word of wisdom is going to flow because it comes right out of the cross of Christ and it trips up. The, look, when you think about this, this is an amazing thing to me. I have seen and noticed over 41 years of, of discussions with other people. It is possible that we are saying the exact same words with two totally different meanings. 
I can talk about Jesus and that person can talk about Jesus. We're talking about two different people. There is another Jesus preached. I can say the gospel and that person can be thinking about the gospel. Two different things. I can talk about salvation. They're thinking about salvation. Two different things. I can talk about baptisms and they're thinking about water. Two different things. We literally can be saying the same words with absolute different meanings. It's almost like we're standing in the Tower of Babel. Nobody understands, even though we're saying clear words. And so when we come to the cross, the wisdom of this age is literally silenced by the word of wisdom that comes that is birthed right out of a relationship with a revelation of the cross of Christ. Let's go to the next one in the word of knowledge. Right. The word knowledge, logos of gnosis. And so when we we look at the idea of just knowing um, this would be knowledge that you didn't learn. It wasn't like you, you got all your facts and figures together. You have knowledge that was just given you by the Holy Spirit. You had no way of knowing this other than by the Spirit. We're going to start in John chapter 1. There's some really cool examples of this. Uh, we're in verse um, 49. In verse uh, 47, let's, let's start there. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of them, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit or guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What? Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man An open heaven. See, this is why I believe these are the revelatory gifts, an open heaven where we see things that were not just taught to us, but we see them by the spirit. Now, Here's another cessationist argument, and I want to just, uh, I, I'm, I'm battling the cessationist thoughts because I know what they're thinking when I say stuff like this. Uh, they say, well, now we have the Bible in its completed form. Man, ain't nobody trying to change the Bible. Look, there's two, uh, there's, what Jesus said, God, is, the, the hour's coming, and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper, which implies there is a false worshiper. He must worship in spirit and in truth. Now we have spirit pneuma and we have truth, the, the, the Sophia. We have the, the uh, truth, uh, the, the Logos, the word of truth. When we deal with the idea of spirit and truth, the word of God is objective. It is fixed. Nobody's trying to change the word of God. We're not trying to add to it. We're not trying to take away from the word of God. But to say that because the Bible is a completed book, that now the Holy Spirit has no reason to operate, then you're dealing with basic knowledge. All Everything has to be a mental ascent at all times. 
Now, do we, are we mindless? No, we use our minds very well. But understand carefully that if we don't, if we don't understand the objective enough to govern the subject or judge the subjective, that's what the objective should be. Certainly the manifestation of the spirit is subjective. And look, I will be the first to tell you, when I look at some of the things going on in charismatic churches, it should be judged and we should rightly judge it. And I agree with some of our cessationist friends out there that they're judging righteously. This stuff is flesh. It's not God many, many times. But we need to be careful because some of these things are God. And I, I believe it's still blasphemy against the Holy Spirit to give credit to the devil for something that God's doing. We need to walk carefully here. Okay. And so when we see the idea of an objective word. That's the finished written word of God. I believe the Bible is the final authority on earth. God's word made plain, preserved, inerrant. It's my book. It's the book of God and I use it for my authority. But I also believe that God has filled us with the Holy Spirit and we should govern it so we don't, we don't think every flight of our imagination, every feeling that comes to us, we're not saying, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. I mean, you'd swear, you listen to most charismatics and you think, man, God must be schizophrenic. The Lord told me to do this. Now the Lord's telling me to do this. The Lord told me to do this. The Lord told me to do this. Lord, it doesn't flow that way, man. It's, it, it, there's an insanity. It's, um, there's a schizophrenia involved. It really is literally a schizophrenia involved in it. And it's not God. And so when you get down to the idea that when the spirit says, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, they know me. And so the idea of having a relationship with the Holy spirit and hearing the voice of God and knowing that God, what God may be saying, look in, in, in about the turn of the century, the Spirit of God began to talk to me. We were successful traditional church. We had three successful traditional churches. And the Spirit of God began to talk to me about house church. Now, to, look, that don't sound like much right now. But look, when God was showing me the, the principles and really revealing back to how it was in the early church, we dismantled by the word of the Lord, by the Spirit of God, we dismantled our old churches our traditional churches, and went back to the way of house church. Now, I had a subjective word that I could judge by the objective word. Now, that may not sound like a big deal to you. But that's a very big deal. We had 20-something years of building churches under, and, and we just dismantled it all and went into house church. That's a big thing, all right? And so when, when that was done, we, look, now by many infallible proofs, I know I heard the voice of God. I know that the spirit was leading me and I know we were way ahead of our time on it because now it's um, amazing uh, how many people are moving in this direction. And I tell you right now, it's going to be even more amazing. You got no choice. You're going to be moving in this direction. That's coming. Thus says the Lord that's coming. So keep moving with me. It says, so Jesus saw Nathaniel. He said, an Israel, an Israelite who in whom is no deceit, no guile. How do you know me? Well, I saw you when Philip was talking to you under the fig tree. So Jesus in the spirit saw them having an encounter. Can such a thing be possible today? Absolutely. And when a person is given to the revelatory gifts. Now, I'm not a dreamer. I'm, I'm very rare. Do I dream? My wife has dreams more often than I do. But I know lots of people who have dreams 
Uh, now, I've seen visions and I've, I've been in, I guess, somewhat semi-trances before where I begin to just, I am just detached in the spirit speaking and I'm seeing things in the spirit. And so I've seen that many times. And, and so these are, to me, the revelatory gifts in operation. And if you're bent that way, this is a gifting of God. So not everybody, look, not everybody does these things. It's, it's individually as he wills. Okay, stay with me. Let's turn to John chapter four. I was just quoting from there. We know about the woman at the well. Samaritan lady. Everybody was shocked that Jesus was talking to her. Verse um, 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your own, and in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Now, I'll just stop right there. It's amazing to me. Anytime you're in a religious discussion and the power of God moves, immediately the other religious person gets hyper-religious and wants to talk the fine tunes about where do you go to church? Uh, we worship in this mountain. Where do you worship? All right. See, religion only worries about where and when. What time are we going to meet? Okay. But Christianity is only concerned with who and how. Spirit and truth. Spirit. We worship God in spirit and truth. Where? Irrelevant. What time? Irrelevant. What day? Irrelevant. We just worship God in spirit and truth. The apostle John was in the Isle of Patmos. He said, I was on the, in the spirit on the Lord's day, which is a distinction between being in the soul or in the flesh. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And so he had gotten literally into a place where everything else had just disappeared around him. He was totally connecting with God. And I believe we should live more and more that way. It's the way to live. So again, we're seeing now the word of knowledge to know something about someone without having been told. I was in an airport in Monterey, Mexico, and uh, I saw a young man. He seemed to have all that grunge look, if you know what I'm talking about. And man, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit just took that man's face and brought him right into my face. And I said, wow, uh, the word of the Lord just came to me. I knew I had to speak to this young man. And so I was looking for opportunity because I had a word for it. I wanted to speak this word to him. And one thing led to another. I was trying. Well, so I didn't want to manipulate. I just trusted that the Lord would make this happen. And so when the plane landed and uh, I think we came back to my, I don't know, Texas or Miami. I don't know where we were. When the plane landed, you know, everybody rushes to get up and you go to your overhead bin. That guy is standing right next to me. And I said, the spirit of the Lord is saying to you, what are you doing with these people? You're not supposed to be here. You weren't raised like that. That young man began to weep and cry right there on the spot. And I'm telling you, he broke down. It was such a powerful divine moment and a divine encounter that it literally he, by the spirit, knew that he wasn't supposed to be among them either. And he was not raised like that. He confirmed that. And, and so we had a wonderful time. Uh, and I was able to speak into his life. I don't know where he is today. Prayerfully, he's uh, he's still going on with God. Hallelujah. But that's a word of knowledge. OK, 
Okay? You know, you see the televangelist, he's on television, he says, I perceive somebody out there has a backache. Okay. Oh, you're a prophet. Everybody got a backache, okay? I perceive you have a headache. Someone has. I mean, come on, man. You can call out generalizations that are not words of knowledge. That's just not a word of knowledge. But whenever you get into a specific specific situation and, and really speak to the issue, you can see the power of God move. And I believe we need to see the power of God move. Amen. All right. So uh, let's go on to the last one. I just got through with a big teaching on discerning of spirits, but let's talk about that. The, the final one in the revelatory gift is discerning of spirits. And, and literally the word discerning means a judicial examination. Um, it means to thoroughly separate or divide. Basically, you, 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 you look at and divide all the moving parts and say, wait a minute, I've looked at this. I've examined it thoroughly. And, and this is my understanding. This is my estimation of this. And you, you, it's discerning of spirits. Now, I want you to know that. And for years, I had a, a, a one track mind on this, like it would make you see what devils. And, and, and let me just say, I've seen devils. Okay. I, I mean, I, I got a knack for it. But the, the bigger issue, and to me, the more productive use of that gift is discerning the Lord's body, literally discerning those who have giftings in the, in the Lord's body. That is way more profitable than discerning devil. I mean, after a while, devils manifest and you just deal with them. But the, the, the discerning the Lord's body, sometimes you got to draw that stuff out of people to get it and to see the, the full usage of it. So let's uh, look at a few. Uh, let me review one thing. There's three ways to discern. We went into great depths on that. Number one, we can discern by the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the gift of discerning spirits. Okay. Number two, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so the word of God is a discerner. The Holy Spirit is a discerner. When those two Spirit and truth. Hey, listen to that. Spirit and truth come together. It also says in the book of Hebrews chapter five, having our senses exercise to discern good and evil. Now, I'm telling you, there are many people I've seen worldly people who have judicial sense in their senses. Basically, they're worldly, but they got discernment. All right. I've also known many people who know many things. I mean, have lots of knowledge about the Lord who are not very discerning. I mean, you, you, that that is not what sets the tempo here. The gifts of the spirit do that. And literally they begin to impress. Once you stay under this and and, and, are, and are using this continually, that our senses become developed to really be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's saying to us. All right. And so we begin to learn to trust what the Spirit's saying. And now I think I think we need to be careful there that we don't run ahead of what the Spirit. He may show you something, and it ain't, and it's just for you to know, not for them to know. And so, uh, and we we have to be really good at timing here. You don't want to just throw out some kind of a blurt out 
and, and you, you really derail what could have been a powerful thing if you wait for the Holy Spirit to work. So let's look at this in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. I really like this one. And in verse 16, whoops, I'm in chapter 15. No wonder it didn't read right. 16, 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed a way of us to, to us, the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Now, I want to tell you, if somebody's going around, going ahead of you, just say, these men are declaring the salvation of God. Oh, these are men of God. I mean, I guess there are people who would like that. I'm not one of them. But that would get annoying real quick. She did it. Look at this. And this she did uh, many. How, how many days? Many days. That's what they said. Many days. And Paul was greatly annoyed. <laughs> I thank God for the insight there. That would annoy me. I, I, flowering it up. Oh, brother. you. Oh, I, I hate flattery. I hate flowering. I, ooh, I despise it with everything in my heart. Don't do that. But that's what she was doing. And he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. <laughs> so what she was saying should have been interpreted as, wow, that's a good thing. She understands we're the servants of God showing people the way of salvation. Well, the demon shrieking this out ahead of him was turning the people off. Paul wanted the Holy Ghost working. And here was this demon shouting louder uh, again, saying the same word. These men are good men of God. They show the way of salvation. But it was a demon. Paul greatly annoyed. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Well, he just basically cost everybody their living. They were all devil worshipers. What a wonderful day. Discerning of spirits. Just because somebody's saying the same language as you, there's more religious demons than there are of any other kind. Okay? You need to keep that in mind as you're dealing with it. Let's also turn to 1 Corinthians 11 and see the other side of that coin. 1 Corinthians 11, 26 verse. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so they're really given all the nuts and bolts of uh, when the, the, the church gathers and we take the I, I believe this is the communion table of the Lord. And we do this every time we gather uh, our churches love communion, uh, this fellowship koinonia. We love to get together. And in South Louisiana, we have taken we're, we're so thankful we've been delivered from the cracker and the cup. And we eat, you know, we baptize in gumbo in our church. And so we, we, we immerse fully. And so we, we like uh, eating good South Louisiana food. And we're just joking, certainly, but we 
not. Uh, anyway, we, we do like to eat good food here. But the fact is, we believe that the Lord served and we show his death until he comes back for us. So we celebrate that his broken body, his shed blood he, in his body, he bore our sins on the tree and in his blood, he washed us from our sin. And we wait. We just anticipate. We, we celebrate that until he comes again. Come on. We, we just excite ourselves on the, re- the return of Christ. So uh, for as often as you eat this bread, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy man- manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But he but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now there's this idea of ignorance to come into the Lord's table and just pig out just because, Hey, we're having a buffet here. All right. With no discernment, no uh, revelation of what we're doing here. And I believe many come to the table like that. I do. Uh, uh, and we let them come. I don't, I don't just tell people they can or can't come, but the fact is, the ignorance that surrounds the communion meal is very large. It's, it's, it's a big, gross uh, ignorance. And the fact that eating without discernment can literally bring damnation to you. It can literally condemn you to hell for, for eating without revelation. And so it's a, it's a major deal. So we do everything we can to bring revelation. But I'm going to tell you right now, some people's minds are totally blinded to this and they jump up there like it's a, a, you know, it's, you know, a buffet line. And so they just jump in and eat and have no discernment whatsoever. So he said, look, not discerning the Lord's body. See, I believe when we come with a keen awareness of the body of Christ, now, when I say the body of Christ, there's all kind of understanding out there. Uh, if you're Roman Catholic, you're probably thinking of the Eucharist. Uh, if you're, uh, you, you know, if you take communion other ways, you're thinking of a cracker and cup. When I say the body of Christ, I think of one of two things. I either think about the physical body of Jesus on the earth that was broken on the cross. Or I think about the present church, which is his body. When you, th- when I say the word church, most people think of the little steeple and all the, the little social club they belong to. I'm talking about an assembled body of believers who have the new birth and literally have begun to, uh, interconnect, interdependent connection one to another, hand to the, to the wrist, to the arm, to the shoulder, to the whole body, everything connected, uh, by the connections of love. And we, we see that discerning the Lord's body. See, when we eat together on a regular basis, we begin to discern what the spirit is doing in each person there. We begin to say it's there where we say the cream rises to the top, where we begin to say, oh, that person, we we see the person who is always serving. We see the person who's who's first to bring or, or, or bring and cook things or to or the person who abases themselves and stay at the back of the line versus the guy who runs to the front of the line. We see the person who's washing dishes, cleaning, helping, helping with the kids. We see those people and we see what kind of servant heart they may have or not have. Right. 
We see those who are only interested in the speaking gifts. We see those who are interested in the revelation gifts. We see those who are interested in the, uh, in the power gifts. We see those who are just humble servants. Man, we see all kinds of things. We discern the Lord's body at the table. It's a wonderful thing. So when we talk about the gifts of the spirit, the first group or grouping of gifts would be the revelatory gifts. And we would deal with it. Number one, the word of wisdom. Number two, the word of knowledge. Number three, discerning of spirits. These things are revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, not by the Bible, but by the Holy Spirit. The Bible judges what the Spirit is revealing, but the Spirit himself gives us a quickening in our understanding. And we know by the Holy Ghost what's happening. And so if you learn to be sensitive to that, now you may be out there and your bent may be toward revelation. Now I've discovered this. You see, when we talk about revelation, it means that a light has shown and we can see by light. And so basically you're the revealing of Christ, the revelation you have of Christ and you're being true to that initial revelation as you grow and walk in the Lord it seems that you would be bent toward the revelatory gifts, okay? And so, uh, now you might want to think about this in your own personal testimony and understanding. Are you given toward dreams? Do sometimes names and people pop into your your heart and mind? I know it does with mine. I'm telling you, sometimes someone pops into my thinking, and I'll, I'll just, look, I don't just fall down and say, oh, God, I'm so but I'll do this much. I'll say a quick prayer for that. And it's amazing how often that person comes right back into our life. They may have been gone from our life forever. And we just say their name one time. Have that one quick thought and they're back in our life. It's amazing to me how the spirit does that. And so when you learn to be sensitive to the voice of the spirit, what the spirit is saying to the churches, if we develop the ear to hear, we can hear. Next week, we're going to talk about the power gifts and uh, we'll go for that. So glad you joined us tonight. I hope this uh, helped you some in your understanding. Be, he said, he said, have, concerning spirituals, I would not have you ignorant. So we're trying to break that ignorance about the spirituals. And, and uh, one more quick exhortation. If you're given, if you, in your doctrine and your theology, you say, well, I just don't believe the gifts are to that for today. You really need to come to terms with that. I would love to see some people delivered from that false doctrine. All right. And I'm not trying to bring you into charismatic craziness. I'm trying to bring you into the full giftings of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Hope you have a great week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.